Well, hey, welcome, everybody. It is uh, just so great to be together today. If you are a guest here with us today, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here, and uh, just so excited uh, that we could gather together in this place today. I do want to say a special welcome uh, to those that are watching online today. Thanks for tuning in. And then to those at our Elkhorn campus, we're so excited to be together this morning. And uh, so, yeah, we give you guys a big greeting. And then lastly, uh, to uh, the guys in Mod 7 at the Correctional Center campus, uh, we're proud of you guys. Thank you for coming together today, and we're cheering for you, we're praying for you, and I'm going to tell everybody, I got a, a, a long letter from one of the guys in Mod 7 this week, and he was just expressing his gratitude really to all of you <clears throat> as a church, and uh, just thanking you all for the fact that we're able to put on this service down there, and it is so exciting to see what God is doing in the lives of, of many people down there at that campus, and so welcome guys, we're, we're excited about what God is doing. Well, today we are in a new series, Christmas uh, for Us Misfits, and I'm really excited for this series. This morning we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 17, and I'm excited to go to that passage with you because on the personal front, this is one of those passages that I really feel like I need to visit just personally um, multiple times throughout the, the course of a year. This is one of those passages that I'm asking God, I'm praying, Lord, would you do a deep work in my own soul as a result of, of my time in, in this passage, and I pray the same uh, would be true for you this morning. Let me give you a little bit of a context um, and a little bit of an exclama- uh, explanation of the title of this series, Christmas for Us Misfits. As we head into Christmas, obviously, we celebrate as a church, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and uh, the greatest act by far of humility that mankind has ever experienced, which would then lead to the greatest act of love that you and I could experience and be recipients of through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And what we do in this series is this. One of the ways that we can worship Jesus is to look very closely at who he came for. Because when you know who Jesus came for, you learn a whole lot about the character of our God. And so in this series, we're going to be really talking about that. Who did Jesus come you might be here today and you're exploring Christianity, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're, you've been walking with Jesus for, for years and years. I really believe on both of those accounts, this series will be very helpful to you. To you. Um, we're going to see in this series, though, that, that when we talk about a misfit, what we're going to see is that, that Jesus came for them. Jesus came for people that had broken past. Jesus came for people that have messy lives. Jesus came for people, and and maybe this is your story. You look back at your story, and and there's some scars along the way. Jesus came for people that experienced the real ups and the real downs of life, very real stuff. That's who Jesus came for. And in this series, what we're going to do, and particularly this morning, we're going to learn a lesson from one of the many misfits that we see in the New Testament, and we're going to see that in Luke chapter 17. And so what I'd like to do now, though, is just to pray with all of you. And let's just ask the Lord this morning. Let's say, Lord, we're not here by accident. And Lord, we're asking you by your power of the Holy Spirit, would you do incredible things in us? So would you pray with me now? And then we'll dive into our text. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, We count it an absolute privilege to be gathered together as a church. And Lord, we want to just say to you this morning, as we lean into this season now where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, God, we want to... Just pray that you would be so honored. God, we pray that this morning, like every other morning when we gather, that as we open up the Bible and we ask you to speak to us, God, we pray that this morning our hearts would be so sensitive to you. God, I pray that you would do a deep work in us. I thank you, Father, on the personal front that you have used this passage to impact me 
I pray, God, that I would grow this morning. God, we pray that we would all grow this morning. Would you take even a minute, church, and would you pray for the people around you? Would you simply pray something like this? Lord, would you do a great work in them this morning? Just pray that on your own. Lord, would you do a great work in them this morning? And now for yourself, would you just simply pray this? Lord, would you give me the wisdom to listen, and then would you give me the courage to respond? Lord, would you give me the wisdom to listen, and then the courage to respond? Lord, I thank you that every time we pray a prayer like that, you listen to us, and you answer that. And so, God, with really genuine hearts this morning, we just pray, God, we invite you to do a great work in this church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you, you love this time of year for uh, certain reasons. Uh, Many of you, you love this time of year because of the lights and the Christmas tree and the gatherings and and the the great food, which I don't know about you, but in my world, that needs to start tapering out a little bit, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, But this time of year, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot going on. It's a fun time of year. One of the things, though, that I love particularly about this time of year is that it's leading up to next year. One of the things that I love about this time of year is that this time of year prompts in my mind, and I know in the minds of many of you, it prompts in your minds the idea that I need to start looking ahead. I can start looking ahead. I can start dreaming. I can start planning. I can start thinking about 2020. With anticipation, we begin to set goals. Many of you are like that. I tend to be the kind of person that I take more time to look ahead than I do to take a look at where we've just been. And that's okay. That kind of wiring is okay. But about a month ago, uh, God really, I felt like, did some business with my own heart on this. Gave me a real burden. I would call it a unique conviction for me. It was so strong that we actually changed some things in our teaching schedule, and we added this this particular message because I really felt led to teach on this topic uh, that we're going to tackle this morning because I want it to be stronger in my life, what we're going to talk about. I want someday to look back, and for this attribute that we'll look at this morning straight out of the scriptures, I want this to be true of me in a very significant way. I had two things that really drove this topic home for me and really brought it front and center as something that I needed to focus on. The first one was this, about six weeks ago, the week that we launched our Elkhorn campus, I noticed that that week, as we had been doing so many things to lead up to that week, I noticed that my mind and my heart began to think about what was next. I began to think about the next hill to climb. And and that's not a bad thing. We have a mission that calls us to do that each and every day. God, how could we reach more people, help them find and follow Jesus Christ? That's why we exist as a church. But it was as though the Lord was whispering to me in that unique season, hey, slow down. Before you look ahead, look back. Uh, before you, you know, you chase the next thing, and, and even if it's a God-honoring thing, come back and, 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 and have some gratitude. Give thanks. Enjoy this moment. The second time that this topic came to my mind in a very strong way, my path crossed that of a homeless man just a few blocks from our Miller campus. And I pulled up to the light, and I had a green arrow, so I didn't have much time. He was right there in the median, he was holding a sign. And sometimes I have some protein bars in my, my truck or a can of peanuts, something like that, just to eat. And, and so I, I had one, brand new, planter's peanuts, big jar. So I just pulled it out as I'm like driving by. I slowed down, I had a car behind me. I said, hey, sir, would you, would you like these? Are you hungry? And this man looked at me with a whole lot of gratitude in his eyes. And, 
He said, hey, I just have these two teeth. He said, thank you so much, but I just can't eat them. And so I just you know, I rolled on, and, and again, it was like God just, boom, stopped me. He was like, Jeff, I, I want you to give thanks for what you have. I mean, this guy was so, so grateful, even just for the offer. But I just thought to myself, wow, am I just flying through life, looking ahead so often, looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead, that I never look back and say, God, thank you. And so really, this sermon, it might be more for me than it is for you. And if so, thanks for your time. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but what we're going to do today is this. We're not looking at 2020 in the grand vision. It will come. God will lead us there. We trust. But today, we're going to intentionally, we're going to look back, and we're going to talk about a discipline. This morning, we're going to talk about a mindset. This morning, we're going to talk about a choice that every single person on planet Earth has the ability to choose, and that's the, the, the idea that we can look back before we look ahead. We're going to ask the question this morning, what does it mean to live a life of gratitude? No, what does that mean to be the kind of person that, that gratefulness actually marks my life? Not only is this biblical, everybody, but if you are the kind of person that you are grateful, this attribute, this mindset, this discipline, it will lead to other things in your life that are phenomenal. You'll be glad that they're there. If you're grateful, you'll be more joyful. If you're grateful, you'll have more of an optimistic look on the future. If you're grateful, you won't live with such a scarcity mindset. Instead, you'll look at abundance. You'll look around and you'll go, God, the blessings of you have been so abundant. If you're grateful, you'll be more apt to extend grace to others because you'll realize and you'll think often about the grace that God has extended to you. Yet isn't it true we live in a world, and this is not a generational thing, everybody. This is not new to some new generation. We live in a, a world that often screams, I want this. I need this. I want this now. I deserve this. This should not have happened to me. That should have happened to me. We live in that kind of a world. I think it's amazing sometimes, thinking of myself, how blessed we are, but oftentimes how ungrateful we can be. We open up the refrigerator, we open up the freezer, and we look in it, and we scour it for maybe two or three minutes, and it's this beautiful box that's temperature controlled so that our food doesn't spoil, and then we shut this box, we turn around and we say, there's no food in this house. The thing was full. Or we do this, we pull our cars, you know, we approach the house, we click a button, and there's this door that goes up. And then we pull our car into this environment that's just for the car. And it protects the car from the elements. It's amazing. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I can then get out of that car and I can say, man, I'm not happy with the gas mileage that that truck's getting. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're just maybe not grateful? You turn on the TV, you turn on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever your flavor is, and, and all of a sudden you just, you're there and you're looking at actually hundreds of options, but you then say something like this, there's nothing to watch. Nothing. We can be ungrateful. I know we can. All of us can. But what I love, what I love about this morning, what I love about Luke chapter 17 is Luke chapter 17, everybody, it's going to take us back to something that we often forget. But if we don't forget it, if this becomes actually a regular part of our rhythms, it will produce in us something that not only honors God, but it will impact those people that are around us. Luke 17, quicker turn there with me now. Let me ask you this question, though, as you get there. 
do you know anybody in your life that after you heard their story, it inspired you? Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you maybe even just watching a movie and, and you just see something happen and all of a sudden the story that you watched, that you witnessed, it inspired something in you and you found yourself saying, I want to be like that. I'm telling you folks, when you look at Luke 17 where we're going this morning, this text makes me say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Look at verse 11. And let me just remind you everybody, this really happened. So look deeply into this text because if you were there and try to imagine that you're right there because if you were there, this would have moved you. This would have stirred something in you so dramatically that it would have caused you, it would have propelled you to think differently, to act differently. Verse 11 says, now Jesus, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So the scene is this, Jesus is traveling to this unnamed village between Samaria and Galilee. And he's on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. It's why we're so excited this time of year, because Jesus Christ is about to go to Jerusalem, where ultimately he'll die for you and I. Verse 12, it says, as he was going into a village, and, and again, we aren't actually sure why he entered into this village, but as he approached the city gate, it says 10 men. How many say that with me? Everyone, no matter where you are, everyone say that with me. How many? Yeah, 10 men who had leprosy, what did they do? They met him, and then they says that they stood at a distance, and they cried out, imagine this, they cried out in a loud voice, and they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, no one could have known what these men felt like. There was no one in their world that was more distressed, more alienated, more disenfranchised than this group. You want to talk about some misfits. These were misfits. If you don't know what leprosy was like, it's a disease that starts by damaging the small nerves on the surface of your skin, but if it goes untreated, it can then lead to blindness, to major dis deformities, major severe disabilities. It was horrible. It was so alienating. It was, if you had leprosy, you were actually shunned more than a person who had committed a very, very serious crime. It was that alienating, more crippling than you and I can even imagine. According to Levitical law, if we look in Leviticus chapter 13, there was a standard way for dealing with a person who had leprosy. It says this, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. So they wanted these people to be recognizable. And so they had to do things to set themselves apart. They have to let their hair be unkept. They had to cover the lower part of their face, and they had to cry out, imagine this, unclean, unclean. Now, I had to wear this over my face this week as I visited a friend in the hospital. I wore this for 20 minutes, folks. And I can't tell you after that 20 minutes how uncomfortable it was. I felt weird. I didn't feel like we could have a very good conversation. It was just, I couldn't wait to get this off. 20 minutes. Imagine wearing something like this day after day. Your clothes are torn. Your hair's a mess. Everybody knows, oh, he has leprosy. Oh, she has leprosy. It says as long as they have this disease, they are to remain, un they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So they're alienated. They're labeled. They're suffering and they're sick. Now, obviously, 
there were medical reasons for these folks to be separated. They didn't want anyone else to contract what they had. It was a death sentence. But there was also some religious reasons. Uh, They protected the temple. The temple was the place where the presence of God dwelt in a special way. So there was nothing unclean that was supposed to enter the temple. And so a sacrifice, if you brought a lamb to be sacrificed at the temple, that lamb could not have a defect. What were they doing? They were honoring, they were protecting the holiness of God. The rabbis would do this. They would prescribe then to these lepers a fixed distance that they had to stay away from other people. Try to get your brain around this. Oftentimes the distance was 100 paces. So that's about 50 yards. So just try to imagine this. These 10 men, they're crying out. It says that they stood at a distance, so 50 yards away, and they've got tattered clothing. They've got cloth over their faces. And between their shouts, unclean, unclean. I just wonder if they thought to themselves, we have nothing else to, what do we have to lose? Why wouldn't we call out to Jesus? We have nothing to lose. Have you ever been so desperate that you just cried out to God? Have you ever been so at the end of your rope that you just knew the only place I can turn is to God himself? And so you cried out to God. We see in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see no record of anyone who was willing to put their name or their health on the line to have the stigma of being unclean and that we don't see anyone who was willing to go up to these people These lepers, we don't see anyone who is willing to talk to them, to pray for them. I wondered this week if they had anyone who ever approached them and said something as simple as this, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you, do you have hope? Is there anything, anything I can do for you? That did not happen. Imagine if you were feared because of what you had, so much so that people by law were instructed to stay away from from you. You know what I also love about this text is this, is it gives us a reminder that Jesus Christ, don't miss this this morning, Jesus Christ, he, how does he respond to the outcast? Think about this. How does Jesus respond to the misfit? How does Jesus respond to the person that's disenfranchised right in our own midst? I love this text. He embraces the hurting and the struggling. You might be struggling in such a way that you feel like no one can imagine what you're going through. That's how these lepers would have felt. Maybe you're here today and you feel alone. Maybe you're going through a horrible divorce. Maybe you're here today and you had a hope and a dream and it seems like that's been dashed. You find yourself in a painful spot. Maybe for some of you, you're back to an addiction and you're asking God, would you break this? And and it's just this inner turmoil and you're you're, you're just, you're really struggling. Know this, it's this text, it serves as this powerful reminder, and we see this, everybody, repeated throughout the scriptures, Jesus Christ is for the misfit. He heals, he hears the brokenhearted. Sometimes he physically heals, either way, he always shows up. He meets us in these places. Psalm 147 says this, he heals the brokenhearted. And so they shouted to Jesus, Jesus, Master Have pity on us. No one has a hard time asking for something that they really want. Isn't that true? Nobody, none of us have a hard time with that. Verse 14, they say this. It says that when he, Jesus, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And it says then as they went, so on their way there, as they went, they were cleansed. Now that sounds strange to me. Because why wouldn't they have been cleaned? Boom, Johnny, right on the spot. 
right then. But these lepers understood why. See, Jewish law required them to go to the priest. The priest actually served as kind of like the, the medical examiner, the health inspector, if you will. And so they would go to the priest, and the priest's job wasn't to heal them, but the priest's job was to declare that they had been healed. And so that they would show up to the priest, and the priest would say, yes, you've been healed. You can go. You can, you can try to get back into society, go back about your normal ways. Verse 15. One of them. How many of them? Say that with me. One. When he saw that he was healed. And, and, and everybody, think about this. We don't know what he saw. We don't know if one of his fingers grew back. We don't know if the pigment of his skin came back. We don't know if he was walking with a limp up to that point, and all of a sudden his limp was gone, and he was just good to go. We don't know, but we do know this. He was healed. But then look at these next two words. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back. Perhaps two of the most instructive words in this entire passage. He came back, praising God, it says in a loud voice. It says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. So we've got one guy that comes back. Sometimes it's good to be abnormal, isn't it? I want to be like this one. Now, there was no doubt each of them were incredibly thankful. There's no doubt about that. But isn't it true there's a huge difference between, between asking for something and seeing an answer and being good and, and then asking God for something and seeing an answer and then actually coming back and saying thank you for what you've received for expressing gratitude. There's a huge difference. But do you ever get a goal in your mind? And you work your tail off? And you try to honor God in the process? And you work towards an outcome? And then you, you naturally get there? But then you don't look back? You ever do that? You just move forward to the next thing. But the reality is this in this passage, that when this man came back, you know what that would have done for him? It actually would have propelled him to go forward. Because now he's going to go forward with a different mindset. Now he's going to walk in gratitude, which again, gratitude leads to all sorts of things. Contentment, joy, optimism, uh, grace, I have received it, now I can give it. All of these things. And so this man, not only does he give something to God, but he's receiving something huge. Because now he's... He's growing in gratitude, which is going to impact everything. But I think before, honestly, we get, get too hard on these other nine, think about what was going on in their minds. I wonder if some of them were thinking, I have not hugged my children in months. I have not seen my wife in years. Where am I going? That's where I'm going. I'm going home. I wonder if others, they thought, wow, I've been away a while. I lost my job. I got to get my job back. That's where I'm going. I got a to-do list. I was waiting for this day. It's finally come. Here we go. But there was one man that came back first. So the first thing that he did was to praise God. The language here, everybody, it's interesting. The word here means this. When it says that he turned, it's the same word that's used for repentance. And, and you can see so many similarities in this story between the lepers and us. Think about this for a second. You and I, if you're a Christian, you have been cleansed of your sin. 
There was a day when you were full of guilt, but God has delivered you from that. There was a day when you had shame from your past and you felt like you couldn't get over that, but then you came to know Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ allows you to walk not with shame, but with knowing, oh God, you're bigger than my shame. This guy turned back to the only one that could do that for him. It's even more significant, though, and and the story makes this clear, that he was a Samaritan, so he's not a Jewish man. That's a big deal in this story. Uh, That means he had a different, likely a different belief system. That means in our terms, there are nine church guys that didn't say thank you, but one unchurched guy that came back and said, God, thank you. There's no doubt his gratitude was having a huge impact on him. Look at verse 17. Jesus then responds back to the story. He asks three questions. He says, Jesus, Jesus asked, uh, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Maybe everybody, you've been actually on the receiving end of this. Have you ever given a gift and, and you really poured maybe a lot of thought and time into a gift? It wasn't just a quick online purchase. No, no, you like, you worked on this gift and it was very, very significant. You had to sacrifice to give this gift. But have you ever been in that situation where though you gave the gift and you couldn't wait to see the response, but then you never heard back from the person that you gave the gift to? And that probably didn't make you mad, but it probably did let you know that person didn't understand the sacrifice behind the gift. They didn't understand the magnitude of it. I think every adult child experiences the moment, if you have children, when you understand all that your parents sacrificed in order to raise you. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I had no idea, right? I want to do this now. I want to give you three statements, two of which I heard another pastor say. I can't say them any better, so I'm just going to say them like he said them to you. But I want these to drive you. I want these to cause you and I to increase our gratitude. The first one is this, and and then we'll finish the text. The first one is this. If you're a note taker, jot this down. You can just maybe put these statements somewhere where you'll see them this week. Here it is. I know that all good things that I have are from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says it very clearly. It says, every good and perfect gift, where is it? It is from above. That changes my perspective, doesn't it? I heard this story of this guy. He was roofing, and he was on a three-story house, and it was high peaks, steep peaks, I should say, and he began to slide off the roof. And so as he's sliding off the roof, he cries out to God, God, help me, God, help me, because he knew if I fall off this roof, I'm either going to get killed by the fall, I'll probably break my neck. And so he cries out, God, help me, God, help me, he gets a little bit closer, God, help me, God, help me. And finally, just as his, his feet and his knees begin to go over the gutter, his belt buckle gets caught on a, on a nail. And so he's sitting there now at the edge, and he just has this aha moment, and he says this, God, never mind, my pants got caught on a nail. I can be so like that man. The blessings of God, I can attribute to other things. I want to be like this leper. This leper knew who healed him. You know, I was talking to a gal in our church just this week, and her daughter-in-law was in a horrible car accident just a few weeks ago. She's a young mom, uh, and this was a major accident. I'm talking lots of broken bones, major stuff. Lucky to be alive. And, and I asked, though, I asked her, I said, hey, how is your daughter-in-law doing? 
And her first words, get this, the first words out of her mouth were, we have so much to be thankful for. Everybody, gratitude is not dependent on circumstances. It's simply dependent on the choice of going back. You don't have to change your life. I've heard it said this way. You don't have to change your life. You simply have to change your perspective. Are you grateful when things even are hard? How do you respond when you get an email that just sidelines you? How do you respond when, when your plans, they don't work out? How do you respond in one of those weeks where you're like, wow, that happened, and now this happened, and now this happened, and this happened, and, and you just feel like, wow, what else is going to happen? How do you respond? Sometimes I think we need to do this. We need to just kind of pick ourselves up, and we need to say this, okay, all good things that I have are from God, and you know what? God has given me a lot, and so in this moment, I can be grateful. I've heard it said this way, faith gives Faith can give thanks in the middle of the story because it trusts God with the end of the story. Faith uh, will really allow you to see, okay, God, you're in charge, and so in your sovereignty, you're in charge of the end of the story, and your character is good, and so God, I'm going to trust you through the middle, through what maybe is hard, because I know that you have the end. That's faith in action. Number two, if you're taking notes, jot this down. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Do you want to live a grateful life? I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says this, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. You know what that means? That means better is what is right in front of me than what I long to have. Better is, if I'm grateful, I'll be content. Have you ever just really been thankful for your phone until the new update came out? And then you're like, my phone actually stinks. I liked it yesterday. I don't like this thing anymore. How about this? You've been totally satisfied with your car, and then a new body style came out, and you're like, man, I liked it, but now I, wow, I like that a lot more. How about this? You ever gone to somebody else's house, and you were like, you went in, and you were like, for Micah, it's cool. You came out, and you were like, granted, it's the only way to go. <laughs> you ever feel that way? That happens. It happens to all of us. Do you know what happens, though? Gratitude turns what I have into enough. Gratitude turns what I have into enough. Think about this. If you're thankful for your spouse, and they have their flaws, all of them do, but if you're thanking God for them, you know what that's going to impact? It's going to impact your marriage. Uh, if you're in a job, maybe a job that you don't even love, but you're in the job, and you thank God, I have a job. Not everybody gets a job. I have a job. You know what that's going to do? That's going to impact how you work. It's going to impact how you show up. When I'm thankful for what I have, I'm much less likely to complain about what I need. I have a friend that has this discipline in his life. I've tried to do it. I need to go back and start doing it again. Every single day, he writes down five things that he's grateful for. Five things. Every day. Five things. Boom. It's just a part of his morning. Ann Voskamp, she does a lot of speaking and writing on this topic of gratitude. And she says this, when we find gratitude in the small things, it changes everything. God, the sun rose. God, I can walk today. I can speak. I can taste my food. Oh, I mean, think about it. When we find joy and gratitude in the small things, it changes everything. Let's finish the story. Look at verse 19. It says, then he, Jesus... 
Then he, Jesus, said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, you could get confused here. Know this, no one is made right before God by having a grateful disposition. That's not how you become right in the sight of God. But what Jesus is teaching here is this, is that when you have been saved, when salvation has come your way, so you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer held accountable for your sin at the end of your days. When that happens, Jesus is saying, true faith, authentic faith, what does it do? Huh. It produces gratitude. Uh, it leads you to a place where you, you can express gratitude. You understand the significance of the gift. It's a huge thing. It's more than just a religion. When you express gratitude, what you're saying to God is, God, I really get it. God, you died for me. And so my heart is going to well up in gratitude because this isn't just some religion thing. No, no, no. God, you really sent your son for me, and that means something, and so it changes my heart. God, you saved my life. I had leprosy of the heart. Point three, if you're taking notes. Last one, here it is. My salvation can always propel my gratitude. You know, if you give me something that costs you personally a lot, and you get no gratitude in return, that doesn't mean that there were strings attached to your gift. That simply means I didn't understand the magnitude of the sacrifice that you made to give me the gift. But when we express gratitude, this is what God hears. I get it. As much as I can in my mind, I understand, Lord, you have forgiven me much. And so, God, I will walk with extreme gratitude. Lord, I had no idea of the gift that I could have in you, but the more that I experience of you, the more grateful, God, you lead me to, the more grateful I become. You know, I can remember being in a third world country years ago, and I remember sitting in this church service. We had been there four or five days in this country. And I remember sitting there in this church service, though, since the end of our time, and I'm watching these people, and, and they're worshiping so joyfully and so passionately. They're worshiping Jesus. And, and, and I thought to myself as I watched them, I thought, I've seen you all week. I know what your homes are like. I understand now that I've heard your story of some of the challenges that some of you face. And those challenges, by the way, are not going away. But as I thought about these people, I went from me feeling sorry for them to me beginning to feel sorry for myself. Because I realized as I sat there in this church, I realized that they had so much gratitude for the things that mattered the absolute most. They had so much gratitude for their faith in Jesus Christ. They understood that this free gift from God, and it blew their minds. It drove them to the place in the midst, again, of circumstances that none of you would choose. I would for sure not. But they had so much gratitude. Why? Because they understood the depth of their salvation. My salvation, your salvation, can always, on our worst day, it can drive us to a place of gratitude. You know, think about yourself in this story. Find yourself in it, because we're all in it. We're like the lepers. I mean, think about this, everybody. We have... The sin is leprosy of the heart. It's contagious. There is no cure. It cuts us off relationally. It brings shame. Sin drives us away from God. We feel as though we can't go and be in his presence even. But think about this. 
I love the fact that this story symbolizes that, but I love that Jesus enters right into it, and I want this story to, to take me to the place where I go, God, you rescued me from that, and because of that, Lord, might my salvation, might it constantly, constantly, might it propel my gratitude. You know, today we have the opportunity to take communion together, and you know what I love about communion is it's just powerful symbolism for us. There's nothing special about the bread and the cup, but what it does do is this, is it symbolizes for us, hey, Christ's body was actually broken for us. Christ's blood was actually, it was shed just for you and I so that we could know him. He did that on our behalf. And then when my mind goes back to the story of the leper, I think about how he responded, everybody. Did you catch that in the text? It says that when he realized that he had been healed, he came back, and then what did he do? It says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he praised him. And what does it do? It gives us evidence that this man understood, I know where the gift came from. And this morning, church, my encouragement to us is this, is that we would go before Jesus and we would simply say this, Jesus, we celebrate you because all good things are from you. Jesus, I will not let what I want rob me of my, what I have. And Lord, I also will be the kind of person that my salvation, who I am in Christ, it will always propel my gratitude. Imagine, church, if we were the first people to come back. Imagine if we lived the kind of lives that whether it's going good or whether it's going bad, we go back and we say thank you. And do we go forward? I sure hope so. We go forward a whole lot. But let's be the kind of people that we actually go back.